1: This episode features discussions of medical procedures and human anatomy that some people may find offensive. Listener discretion is advised, especially for children under 13.
0: This was it. The moment Bob Champion had been picturing for so long. The roar of the crowd the thunder of 40 powerful horses galloping in a pack, and 40 skilled jockeys, all with the same goal, to win the Grand National. But Bob was better than all of them, and so was his trusty horse, Aldeniti. He was running faster, jumping higher, landing smoother. As they cleared the final obstacle, there was nothing between them and the finish line. All he had to do was hold on a bit longer.
1: Bob woke with a start. He groaned as the all-too-familiar sensations of pain and nausea washed over him.
0: The dream had been so vivid, so real.
1: But that's all it was, a dream. For months, that vision of winning the Grand National had kept Bob going in his fight against cancer. But the cancer was too strong. The pain from his chemotherapy treatment had become overwhelming. It was time for Bob to throw in the towel.
0: Welcome to Survival, a ParCast Original. I'm your host, Irma Blanco.
1: And I'm Tim Johnson. Every Monday, we'll take you inside incredible true stories of life-or-death situations. This is our second episode on Bob Champion, an elite jump racing jockey who was diagnosed with testicular cancer in the summer of 1979.
0: At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at Parcast Network. In August 1979, Bob Champion was diagnosed with stage three testicular cancer. Throughout his grueling chemotherapy treatment, Bob's goal of winning the Grand National, Britain's most famous horse race, was a beacon of hope in the darkness.
1: But after his treatment ended in late November, Bob was met with two crushing blows. His cancer wasn't fully eradicated And his favorite horse, Aldeniti, had suffered a severe leg injury from which he might never recover.
0: Bob elected to undergo another two rounds of chemotherapy, but the treatment's sapping effects became too much for him to bear. On December 6, 1979, only four days into his treatment, Bob summoned the cancer ward's head nurse, Carol, and told her... He wanted to stop his chemotherapy.
1: Much to Bob's surprise, Carol didn't try to talk him out of it. There was no grand speech, no reminding him how much he had to live for or how much he meant to his friends and family. All she did was suggest that Bob take his IV drip out for a little while and take a walk to think about his decision. If he still wanted to end his treatment when he came back, he could.
0: Bob agreed, and as he walked through the hospital's halls, he felt at peace about his decision. He knew he'd be letting his loved ones down, but he didn't care. The cancer had already killed his spirit. As he meandered through the building, lost in his head, he paid no attention to where he was going. Somehow, his feet took him to the children's cancer ward.
1: Bob was shocked to see how optimistic all the young patients were. There was no sense of the dour mood that pervaded the adult cancer ward. Each time Bob passed a bed, he was greeted with a cheerful hello and a bright smile.
0: Entering into a playroom, Bob stopped to chat with a little girl swaying back and forth on a rocking horse. With the bluntness only a small child is capable of, She asked Bob if he was going to live or die.
1: Bob paused. He was humbled at how strong the children were. He was ashamed at his own decision to give up. And in that moment, he became more determined than ever. He told the little girl he was going to live, and he meant it.
0: Bob headed back to his room, tears streaming from his eyes. He couldn't believe how close he'd come to giving up. He promised himself he would see his treatment through until the end. When he told Nurse Carol about his decision, she just gave him a warm smile and helped
1: him into his bed. Bob was released from the hospital on December 8th. The sixth and final round of chemo was scheduled to begin on the day after Christmas. Bob was happy to spend time with his loved ones, but the holiday period was bittersweet.
0: During Bob's first week back at his sister Mary's farmhouse, his niece Emma's pony was hit by a car and died. For the first time in months, it was Bob's turn to offer Emma comfort and support, as she'd been doing for him since his diagnosis.
1: The next couple of weeks of recovery passed without incident. But on Christmas Day, Bob woke up to find that his breasts had swollen in a manner similar to what had happened a few months before his cancer diagnosis. He was anxious about what it could mean, but he tried to push it out of his mind and enjoy the holiday.
0: All thoughts of his disease vanished from Bob's head when he opened a card sent on behalf of Aldaniti, his favorite horse. Aldiniti's owner's daughter had created a fan club for the racehorse, And she sent Bob the money she had raised with a note asking him to donate it to the Injured Jockey's Fund. The gesture moved Bob beyond words. For the rest of the day, he barely thought about his impending return to the hospital. As he sat at the dinner table, looking at his family's smiling faces, he realized how lucky he was to have them in his life. He promised himself that he'd be with them for the next year's holiday.
1: But before Bob could think too much about the future, he still had one more chemotherapy session to get through. Much to his relief, the day after Christmas, his final treatment period began on a positive note. His doctors told him that the swelling in his breasts was nothing more than a reaction to injections he was given in the period between his chemotherapy treatments.
0: His good luck continued through the rest of the week. During Bob's five previous rounds of treatment, none of the drugs intended to counter the side effects of chemotherapy had worked. But his nurse refused to give up, and it turned out that the sixth time was the charm. The pain meds worked, and Bob's days passed in a contented blur. However, on his last day in the hospital, the swelling under Bob's nipples returned once again. The doctors quickly drew some blood and ran some tests. Bob tried to tell himself that it was just another reaction to the medicine, but the possibility that it was a sign his cancer had spread loomed over his head.
1: According to Cancer Research UK, in 1980, the survival rate of five years or more for testicular cancer hovered right around 90 percent. But Bob's doctors had estimated his own personal chances at about 40%. Although those were decent odds for a horse race, they weren't so great for a human life. Bob feared the worst.
0: Luckily, tests showed that everything was normal. The swelling was, in fact, just a reaction to the drugs. Bob left the hospital on New Year's Day, 1980. He was optimistic. It was a new year and a new start.
1: But that hope proved difficult to maintain. His final hospital stay had been the easiest Bob had endured, but his final recovery was the hardest. He was so weak that he couldn't go to the bathroom or bathe by himself. Looking in the mirror, all Bob could see was a shadow of the man he once was. He couldn't imagine how he could ever regain the strength he'd need to return to racing.
0: And although Bob was relieved to be finished with chemotherapy, his reassessment appointment for January 31st occupied his every thought. His last one had been bad news. The thought of what this next appointment might bring filled him with dread. But Bob didn't allow himself to wallow in fear. Instead, the moment he was able, he forced himself to jog to and from one of the cottages about 100 yards from his sister's main farmhouse.
1: It may have been little more than a labored shuffle, but this activity represented a huge mental and physical step in Bob's recovery process. According to Orlando Health, staying active after cancer can help lower the risk of recurrence and lead to longer survival. Moderate exercise can reduce anxiety and depression, improve mood and boost self-esteem, and reduce fatigue, nausea, pain, and diarrhea.
0: But Bob's goal went beyond just staying active. Although his reflection reminded him he had a long way to go, he was still determined to achieve his dream of winning the Grand National. To help him speed up the recovery process, Bob contacted a remedial massage therapist who he'd worked with in the past after racing injuries.
1: Remedial massage goes beyond the typical massage you might get at the spa. The aim is to specifically target muscles that are damaged, tense, or immobile. It's often used by athletes to aid them in recovery from injuries. For Bob, this form of muscle therapy was incredibly helpful. With his body in such a weakened state, it was important for him to get himself back up to speed as fast as possible.
0: A week before his reassessment appointment in late January 1980, Bob decided to leave the spare room at Mary's farmhouse and move back into his own house. Although Mary and her family were a huge comfort, he needed to get back some semblance of normality if he was going to move forward with his life. When his appointment came on January 31st, Bob drove himself to the hospital. Mary offered to go with him, but it was something he knew he had to do alone.
1: Although he felt great, Bob was well aware that this meant nothing. He had felt incredible prior to his first reassessment in late November 1979, and just a few weeks later, he felt so sick that he nearly gave up. If he needed even more chemotherapy, he wasn't sure his body could withstand it and he wanted to process that possibility by himself.
0: The moment Bob sat down in his doctor's office, she cut straight to the chase. She looked him straight in the eye and said, the cancer's gone, Bob. He had done it. He had beaten his cancer. He was overcome with love for his friends and family, and an appreciation for the doctors and nurses who had helped him win the fight of his life.
1: At the same time, he felt a sense of crushing guilt for having survived an illness that so many others hadn't. This feeling is very common for people who have survived life-threatening illnesses. According to clinical social worker Kimari Knowles of the Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center, survivors coping with these emotions often feel that they need to justify their existence or that they don't deserve to be here.
0: Bob was no different. He promised himself he would show everyone who had supported him through his time of need that their help had mattered, that it had meant something to the world. He was going to race professionally again, And nothing was going to stop him. Coming up, Bob gets back in the saddle.
1: And now, back to the story.
0: When Bob Champion received the news that he was completely cancer-free on January thirty-first, 1980, his mind immediately turned to making his comeback as a professional horse jockey.
1: Throughout his treatment, Bob's goal had been to win the Grand National race atop his favorite horse, Aldeniti. He was determined to repay all the support his loved ones and medical team had given him by making that dream come true.
0: But with the Grand National nearly two months away and Aldeniti still recovering from an injury, Bob knew there was no way either of them would be competing this year but that just gave them more time to prepare for the next year's event.
1: To get game fit, so to speak, Bob enlisted the help of a professional trainer, Pete Fisher. Pete immediately had Bob going on two-mile runs just a month after he finished chemotherapy. The workouts pushed Bob to his limit, but little by little, he began to improve his conditioning.
0: And while his first monthly checkup at the end of February showed he was in great health, Bob's comeback was threatened by the chemotherapy's enduring side effects.
1: One of the biggest challenges Bob faced in returning to the saddle was persistent numbness in his hands and feet. Known as neuropathy, it's a common side effect that affects about half of chemotherapy patients. Although the symptoms usually quickly fade after the treatment ends, a 2014 study published in Science Direct showed that 30% of people still demonstrated symptoms of neuropathy six months or longer after stopping chemotherapy. Unfortunately for Bob, he fell within that 30%. The lack of sensation in his hands and feet made it incredibly difficult for him to control the horses while riding, but he was undeterred. He would just have to fight through it.
0: After consulting with his trainer, Josh Gifford, Bob targeted his return for the start of the next season in late July, 1980. As he continued his training, Bob began doing race commentary for the BBC. Although it felt strange to be in the booth and not be competing, Bob loved being involved in the racing community once again. Just being at the track reinvigorated him. While he was working at the Cheltenham Gold Cup in April, Bob met a jockey named Anthony Robinson, who had recently made his own comeback after beating cancer— Anthony showed Bob a letter from his doctor stating that he was in good health and once again fit to ride.
1: Hearing the story of someone who had gone through exactly what Bob was experiencing gave him a huge boost in confidence. Knowing that Anthony had been able to return to racing convinced Bob that if he kept working, he could succeed too.
0: But Bob still had a long way to go before he was race ready. The cold, damp English weather wasn't doing him any favors. So he headed to the U.S. in early April to train in South Carolina. As Bob packed his bags, he glanced in the mirror and noticed a few wispy hairs poking out of the top of his head. A huge grin spread across his face. He decided to leave the Whigs at home.
1: Upon arriving in South Carolina, Bob embarked on a rigorous training regime. He would wake at the crack of dawn, ride a few horses, then head to the gym to run and lift weights. After a short recuperation, he did it all again. But his neuropathy refused to go away. In an attempt to get more circulation to his feet, Bob started walking around barefoot.
0: One day, as Bob walked around the yard, His trainer asked him if he could feel his feet. Not wanting to worry him, Bob said yes. His trainer told him to look down. There was a nail sticking half an inch into Bob's heel.
1: Luckily, the nail didn't do any serious damage. But from that point on, Bob started wearing shoes again.
0: In early May 1980, Bob started to receive his first offers to race since his cancer diagnosis. He was honored but he turned them down. He wasn't quite in racing shape, and he wanted his first time back to be on a horse trained by his trainer and good friend, Josh Gifford. But then Bob received an offer too good to pass up. An American trainer named Jonathan Shepard asked Bob to compete in a flat track race for him.
1: Unlike jump racing, flat track races don't have any obstacles for the horses to navigate. They're straight foot races, like you see in the Kentucky Derby or Belmont Stakes. There was almost zero chance of Bob falling off in such a race, even with the lack of sensation in his hands and feet.
0: Although he had never competed in a flat track race before, Bob agreed. Since it wasn't a jump race, he figured it wouldn't be a slight to Josh Gifford. And besides, he couldn't contain his competitive spirit anymore. He was ready to race. On May 31st, one year and 20 days since Bob's last race, he lined up in the starter's gates. He took a deep breath, and they were off.
1: In the early going, Bob held his horse at the back of the pack. He didn't want to push himself too hard. But at the first turn, the horses ahead of him drifted a bit wide, giving Bob a window to surge ahead. He took it.
0: Coming into the final quarter mile, Bob found himself in third place. With the two horses ahead of him starting to slow down, he came to a stunning realization. He could win. Bob gave his horse a single hard smack and they surged into the lead, winning with ease. After the race ended and the crowd dispersed, Bob wandered around the quiet racetrack by himself for a while. He needed time to process the enormity of what he had just done, his diagnosis, the treatment, and coming all the way back to win in his first race.
1: But just because his cancer was in remission didn't mean that Bob was free from his doctors forever. In addition to the threat of relapse, he still had to undergo follow-up tests to track his recovery. Bob tried not to think about the tests that loomed at the end of every month, but in the days before he was scheduled to go into the hospital, he found it hard to sleep. Even though the tests always came back clean, he knew the cancer could come back at any moment. According to the American Cancer Society, Although the chances of a relapse are low, testicular cancer survivors are up to twice as likely to develop a new cancer outside the testicle.
0: In July 1980, the fear that Bob's cancer could come back at any time became all too real. He found out that Anthony Robinson, the other jockey he'd met who had overcome cancer, had died from a relapse. News of Anthony's death cut Bob to his core but he knew he couldn't live his life in fear.
1: In late August, Bob headed back to England to compete in his first race for Josh Gifford. Unfortunately, Aldeniti wasn't ready to return to the track just yet, but to ride for Josh again was exciting enough for Bob.
0: Bob's return to jump racing wasn't as triumphant as his flat track debut in America. Although he finished in a respectable fourth place, it wasn't the resounding win the supporters who came to cheer him on had hoped for. But he didn't mind. He was back in the groove and ready to work towards racing in the Grand National next spring.
1: The next few months were full of ups and downs. He won a few races in late September and early October, but was beginning to struggle with his weight. Although Bob's body had nearly wasted away during his chemotherapy, a side effect of the treatment was that once he recuperated, his weight crept up higher than it was before.
0: Now at about 175 pounds, Bob would have to get down to 150 if he wanted to stand a chance in marquee events like the Grand National. After his battle with cancer, he resolved he would not resort to the pills and laxatives he used to take in his younger days if he was going to get his weight down, Bob knew he had to live a more disciplined lifestyle.
1: But even as he started to shed his extra pounds, Bob was struggling. From mid-October into December, Bob didn't win a single race. With the initial excitement of his comeback beginning to fade, trainers were more reluctant to let Bob ride their horses.
0: Even his new girlfriend, Joe, couldn't lift his spirits. Bob began to question whether he would ever regain the same form he had before his diagnosis. He even debated giving up racing altogether.
1: By December 13, 1980, Bob had all but decided to give up his comeback. That day, he was scheduled to ride in three races. He hadn't won a race in five weeks, and the day's first outing didn't change that statistic.
0: Heading into the final mile of the second race, Bob wasn't surprised to find himself in last place. Just as he was about to go on autopilot, he realized that his horse was gaining steam. He was still in it. As he approached the fourth-to-last fence, Bob was only a single length behind the leader. He was in first place by the time he cleared the next fence. In the end, he won the race by over two lengths.
1: The momentum carried into Bob's final race of the day, and he won that one as well. Just like that, all the doubts Bob had been harboring vanished. He was back on track.
0: The wins kept coming, and on January 2nd, 1981, Bob found out that he had been named December's National Hunt Jockey of the Month.
1: But just two weeks later, on January 17th, Bob endured his hardest day yet. Bob was riding Kaibo, one of the strongest horses in Josh Gifford's stable. The race started well, but as they cleared a water jump, Kaibo landed awkwardly, his legs splaying out in all directions. He managed to get back up, but by then, they were out of the race.
0: Bob took it easy the rest of the way, letting Kaibo jump a few fences to restore his confidence. But as they reached the finishing straight, Kaibo stopped short. One of his hind legs was completely shattered. He collapsed in pain, and the sudden stop caused Bob to fly over the side railing. Kaibo managed to struggle to his feet and limped over to an adjacent track before collapsing again.
1: Before Bob could reach Kaibo, the course veterinarian had already euthanized him. Bob felt responsible since he had made Kaibo keep going after his initial fall. But the vet told Bob it wasn't his fault. He was certain that the break had happened at the water jump. The only thing that had kept Kaibo going after that was sheer willpower.
0: Bob's roller coaster month continued, with his hospital appointment at the end of January, which marked the one-year anniversary since he had been declared cancer-free. His doctors conducted a full array of tests, including blood work and lung capacity tests. They set him up on a treadmill and told him to ring a bell when he got too tired to continue. But Bob kept running and running, only ringing the bell because he got bored and wanted to stop.
1: A few days later, Bob got his results. The chemo had done almost zero lasting damage to his lungs. For all intents and purposes, he was back to normal. With the Grand National in a little over two months' time, it was some of the best news he could have received.
0: Only a few days after that, Bob got even better news— Aldeniti was ready to return to racing, and there was only one jockey who could ride him for his comeback. Before the race began, Bob had no expectations of winning. His goal was to get Aldeniti back into the flow of things and make sure he was ready for the Grand National. For an injury-prone horse like Aldeniti, success would mean getting to the finish line in one piece.
1: Bob was content to stay at the back of the pack, but Aldeniti had other ideas. Going into the second-to-last jump, Bob didn't hold the horse back, and they stormed to victory.
0: Once Bob dismounted, he looked Aldeniti in the eye and gave the horse a massive hug. Both of them had been through so much in the past year or so, and both had made it out on the other side. Now there was just one final hurdle for them to overcome, the Grand National.
1: Coming up, Bob and Aldeniti compete in the race of their lives. And now the conclusion of the story.
0: In early February of 1981, Bob Champion had his much anticipated reunion with his favorite horse, Aldaniti. Throughout his cancer treatment and ensuing recovery, Bob had envisioned himself winning the fabled grand national race while riding Alden Now that they were both back in racing shape, that dream could actually become a reality.
1: At the end of February, Bob had one final appointment at the hospital, a full-body x-ray that would determine if there were any cancerous cells in his body. MRI machines were still uncommon, so Bob had to undergo an uncomfortable two-hour process as every inch of his body was carefully scanned. The x-rays all came back clean. Bob was still cancer-free. Having reached this milestone, he now only had to come into the hospital every three months, meaning his next appointment wouldn't be until the end of May. He could focus all his attention on the Grand National.
0: Finally, the day of the race arrived. April 4th, 1981. It was a perfect spring day. Blue skies, warm weather, ideal racing conditions.
1: The Grand National was, and still is, the biggest horse race in Britain, and possibly the whole world. Every year, Tens of thousands of spectators pack the grandstands at Liverpool's Aintree Racecourse, with millions more watching on television.
0: It's every jump jockey's dream to win at the Grand National, and Bob was no exception. Ever since he was eight years old, it had been his life's ambition. As Bob climbed into the saddle atop Aldeniti's back, he had to pinch himself. This wasn't a dream. This was real. Finally, it was time for them to take their place at the starting line. As he waited for the other jockeys to line up, he could feel the anticipation building. The crowd was buzzing, waiting for the course marshal to lift the tape.
1: And just like that, the race was on. Too often, the leaders hit the initial fence going too fast and are thrown from their horses. Bob's plan was to keep Aldeniti a bit further back in the run-up to that first jump. But Aldiniti had other ideas.
0: Bob tried to rein him in, but Aldeniti approached the first jump at a full gallop. Aside from his first race with Bob in February, he had been cooped up for almost a year and a half. He wanted to run.
1: When he vaulted over the first jump, Aldeniti landed at a steep angle and lost his balance. But somehow, the horse stayed on his feet, Bob stayed in the saddle, and they were off and running towards the next jump.
0: By the fourth jump, Aldeniti had calmed down, and he and Bob settled into a comfortable rhythm. After clearing the ninth jump, they were amongst the leaders. Bob had planned to hold Aldeniti back for a little while longer, but he trusted the horse's instincts.
1: Bob's own instincts took over as well, and by the 11th jump, he and Aldiniti were leading the pack. The lead went back and forth over the next few jumps, but by the time they cleared the 17th hurdle, they were firmly in the lead by three lengths.
0: After the third to last jump, Bob and Aldiniti were still in the lead, but two other horses, Royal Mail and Spartan Missile, were closing the gap. By the second to last jump, Royal Mail had narrowed the gap to only two lengths. As Aldiniti landed on the other side, Bob heard a terrible crash behind them. Royal Mail had gone straight through the hedge.
1: Aldiniti cleared the last jump with ease. Bob figured all he had to do now was hold steady to the finish, and that would be it. But the horses behind him weren't giving up. He could sense another horse quickly closing in.
0: It was Spartan Missile, truly living up to his name. At the last jump, he had been a full 10 lengths behind, but he was making a furious sprint to the finish.
1: Somehow, Aldiniti still had another reserve of energy within him. Bob urged him on, but Aldiniti didn't need much encouragement. They soared over the finish line.
0: The moment was everything Bob had imagined it would be. He drank in every detail, from the roar of the crowd to the steam rising off Aldeniti's back. They had both come back from the brink of death and risen to the pinnacle of their sport. As Bob dismounted, Josh Gifford took his hands and simply said, Well done. No two words had more of an impact on Bob in his entire life.
1: After the race ended, Bob hardly knew what to do with himself. He had spent so long getting to this point. Now that he had actually won, he wasn't sure what to do next. But as fan mail began to pour in, he realized what his true calling was. Many of the messages Bob received were from cancer patients and survivors, telling him how much he inspired them. A great number of fans had donated the money they'd won betting on the Grand National to the hospital where Bob had received his treatment.
0: Bob thought that the donations would taper off as time went by, but the money kept pouring in. After discussing it with some of the hospital's directors, Bob decided what should be done with the donations. He wanted to give some of the more drab areas of the hospital a facelift.
1: As a patient, Bob's mood had been negatively affected by the unpleasant spaces he'd been forced to spend time in. His instincts told him that a better aesthetic atmosphere would have made a huge difference, and he was right. A 2006 study conducted by Karin Dijkstra of the Netherlands University of Twente supported the thought that the physical healthcare environment affects the well-being of patients.
0: While the renovation plans were drawn up, the money kept coming in. As more funds became available, the plans kept being adjusted to accommodate further improvements. Eventually, so much money had come in that Bob realized he needed to create something more formal to manage it. The Bob Champion Cancer Trust was born.
1: After retiring from racing in 1982, Bob opened his own training business. Although he had moderate success training horses, his heart just wasn't in it. His true passion lay in the rapidly growing Cancer Trust. Bob loved organizing fundraising events, including spearheading charity horse relays all across Britain. These rides came with an added benefit as they allowed him to spend more time with Aldeniti.
0: Many of Bob's charity relays would open and close with him riding along on his trusty companion. As the years went by, Aldiniti lost much of his strength and couldn't sustain long rides, but he was always game to trot around for a bit. He was a loyal partner to the end.
1: On March 28, 1997, Aldeniti peacefully passed away at the ripe old age of 27 years old. Although Bob was glad that Aldeniti didn't suffer, the news left him completely heartbroken. Nothing he had achieved would have been possible without that incredible horse.
0: After Aldeniti's death, Bob redoubled his efforts to raise money for the trust, and they paid off. In 2001, he received news that the doctors at his research center believed they had gone as far as they could with their testicular cancer research. With survival rates now at 95%, Bob made the decision to shift his funding to prostate cancer research.
1: Later in 2001, after returning home from a night out in London, Bob started feeling tightness in his chest. Never one to panic, he brushed it off as indigestion. But Bob's wife, Jeanette, could tell it was something much more serious and called an ambulance.
0: She was right to worry. Bob had suffered a heart attack. Although he made a full recovery, Bob's doctors determined that the attack was a result of the damage chemotherapy had done to the blood vessels around his heart.
1: But in a sense, Bob was lucky. Many of the patients who had received the same chemotherapy treatment as him had since passed away from heart troubles. Bob's doctors warned him that if he wanted to avoid their fate, he'd have to start taking it easier.
0: Heeding their advice, Bob closed his training business to focus exclusively on his fundraising and research efforts. In 2015, Bob opened the Bob Champion Research and Education Building in partnership with the Norfolk and Norwich University Hospital.
1: In 2019, now 70 years old, Bob continues to actively raise money in the name of cancer research. In over 35 years of existence, the Bob Champion Cancer Trust has raised over 19 and dollars.
0: On its own, Bob's inspiring return from his battle with cancer is an incredible story of survival. But what makes it truly special is what Bob did with the attention he received afterwards.
1: A champion isn't just someone who has overcome challenges and emerged victorious. It's someone who fights for others. And ever since he became the winner of the 1981 Grand National, Bob has made himself the champion of those who suffer from the devastating disease that is cancer. And for that, his story is truly remarkable. Thanks for listening to Survival. For more information, among the many sources we used, we found Bob's memoir, I'm Champion, Call Me Bob, extremely helpful to our research.
0: You can find all of ParCast's shows on Spotify and anywhere you listen to podcasts.
1: If you enjoy the show, the best way to help is to leave a five-star review.
0: And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll see you next time.
1: Survival was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the ParCast Network. It's produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound design by Dick Schroeder, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Freddie Beckley. Survival is written by Alex Benedin and stars Irma Blanco and Tim Johnson.